Hi, this is Wavelengths. It's episode 18, and I wanted to try the intro differently. I have Ethan Hartley again. I have Garrett Coutre, finally. And today we're going to talk about some basketball and some baseball. How you boys doing? Doing great, man. Doing great. Yeah, I, I mean, work's boring, but it's okay. Doing well. I tried talking somewhat differently, so like, it, I wouldn't hate listening to it, but I still will. But you know, that's the life I live and the grave I decided to dig. Speaking of graves, Chris Paul's legacy, and one of those it seems like, Devin Booker couldn't do enough. DeAndre Ayton went from like most popular kid in the NBA to I don't I don't even know how to explain it. Just like inevitable, no, like not indestructible. That's a better way to put it. And I mean, Giannis is gonna have a great summer. Yeah, I mean. Drew Holiday kind of picked them apart. I mean, it was obviously a team effort. I mean, PJ Tucker did, you know, a half decent job. But I mean, it's kind of crazy when you think about it how they were up 2 0 and they literally just pissed it away. I mean, there's like no other no other way to explain it. And like just like that, it's all gone. I mean, I, I have no idea what they could be thinking right now, but you know, it, it is what it is, and you know. They didn't really have anybody to – I mean, like, I guess on paper they they had players who could stop Giannis, but, I mean, you, you can't. At best, they could contain him, and they failed to do that. I mean, Michael Bridges is a good defender. Jay Crowder is a good defender. DeAndre Ayton's a above-average defender. None of, none of it seemed to matter at all. Zero zip. Yeah, it's it felt like they weren't even – they they weren't even making adjustments. I felt like the first loss was no different than the second loss, the third loss, the fourth loss. The Bucks learned what worked, and they worked on being able to succeed at a higher rate at what was working in their first win. And the Suns seemed to be just making no effort on defense, just trying to outscore them because they were just like, "Oh, we can't defend Giannis. We just got to try and outscore him." And it just, it wasn't working. I mean, it 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 was the weakest elimination game performance I've seen especially from the Suns I, I expected them to fight in game six and they didn't have any fight uh just felt like they were just kind of you know playing a half speed all night I mean Giannis dropped a, an easy 50 on him and it showed they, they didn't play like they were about to be eliminated from the NBA finals and I think the whole CP3 deserves a ring thing went to went to sleep with that because Giannis earned the ring way more than CP3 deserved it and game six is a prime example because Bucks just wanted it more after going down 2-0 I'd say differently in terms of that they didn't make the effort. They just were really desperate with like you could see it like straight from the jump that they were rattled and they, you know, they, they didn't really seem to kind of really push the gas and, you know, collectively make an effort to realize that this is it if we don't do anything and they were playing sloppy you know, second half, they improved and they were able to keep it close. But, yeah, I mean, they, they you know, they played, they showed, they came to play, but they just didn't really, you know, face reality, you could say, and, you know, cost them the game. I think 
my favorite part about this whole thing is that this time tomorrow, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Devin Booker will all be on the same private jet to Tokyo, Japan. Yeah, this could be an awkward flight. What is that, like a 13, 14 hour flight to Tokyo? Yep. And uh, two of them are going to have, uh, have a trophy. <laughs> One of them's not. Well, Hope the free is not his enough. fault. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Drew and Middleton probably will try to catch up on some sleep, and Devin Booker's like, I like, could seriously hurt them, you know? I mean, it'd be pretty obvious who did it, but it's a long flight. He's probably exhausted also, so you got to think he's thinking about it. Yeah, Booker's going to be fighting exhaustion, and I think about this time tomorrow, Middleton and Holiday are going to be fighting a pretty big hangover. So I think it'll be different battles depending on which team they played for in the finals. I I don't think Giannis has slept yet. Oh no! As of this morning, he hadn't. And I mean, yeah, I mean like, <laughs> what a what yeah. a great guy to win a, a title. Just across the board, I feel like. I mean, one hundred percent. I feel like the game's kind of gone to a, a more perimeter you know, stock your team up with shooters. And we haven't really seen a, a paint beast like like Giannis since, I guess, Dwight Howard, but more notably like Shaquille O'Neal. Like right when the game looked like it was going to take off and go in this crazy direction of, you know, firing up 40-foot threes with Dane Lillard, Trey Young, and Steph Curry, he comes in and is like, I mean, no, I'll just give you 50 points and score them all in the paint. And DeAndre Ayton, who's a, a great paint defender, is just not going to do anything about it because you can't do anything about it. And I, I think it goes to show you that no matter which way the game goes, there's there's an art to, to shooting and doing that. And I think having both on your team is what won the Bucks the finals. You get shooters in Holiday and Middleton, then you get a guy that's going to give you 50, all 50 points from either the paint or the foul line and, and Giannis. And it, they looked unbeatable once they went down 2-0, once they got things going. I mean, they had the recipe. Yeah, the stretches Giannis had by himself were – some of the greatest things I've ever seen, probably since LeBron against the Warriors. Honestly, maybe even you could throw Kawhi in there, but you know his his kind of sheer dominance was way more like subtle, I guess you could say. Like it wasn't like these out of nowhere blocks and you know spin moves for a dunker, you know a crazy alley oop. You know it was just like him basket after basket after basket. But regardless, it doesn't take away from either of their performances. I mean, he broke like Shaq numbers and that's, and that's what he seemed like in terms of his dominance in the paint. And it's just, it's interesting how he breaks those kind of numbers, but does it in a totally different way. Cause Shaquille always stood in the paint, but he'll, the Giannis will start out at the three point line and he's not a great three point shooter. And I still don't understand. I mean, like teams are figuring it out beforehand, but in the finals, I don't know. I mean, he got whatever shot he wanted in the paint and no one really seemed to even like, give him the leeway almost i mean like you know some people will sit in the paint against ben simmons and that's completely understandable and even when Giannis shoots the three people will still do it but like they were playing up on him and that was something i didn't really understand a lot either because i mean he's he's known to not be a good three-point shooter yeah and i mean and going back to the the quiet 50 kind of comment it was he's the it was the quietest 50 point performance i've ever seen he so quietly just gets constant buckets that people actually believe that Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday should be the finals MVP. Like that's how quietly he was going for 50, 15 and five every night. And I think it's unbelievable. I mean, I've never seen somebody 
just do that. Just look effortless. And then you look at the box score and you realize he had 50 when you probably only thought he had 30. And I mean, so many people, it's, it got to the point where like people actually didn't believe this guy was the finals MVP. And I think that's just crazy, but it, that's just how he plays the game and it, it works for him. And nobody's going to be able to stop it unless they make adjustments. And the Suns didn't. What's so incredible about this finals, I mean, from my perspective, was everybody was like, oh, you know, it's Milwaukee and Phoenix, two middle market teams, blah, blah, blah. How's the NBA going to survive? I feel like this was since the second Cavs Warriors, I feel like this was the most invested I was in a finals. Because last year you knew that the Lakers were going to win at some point. The year before, Toronto was just a surprise, but, you know, with no Clay and no Durant, you would think that they would. And then the other two years with KD, you knew what was going to happen. So, really, this was, like, the most excited I was for a finals in a long time. And shout-out to both teams for, you know, kind of making that possible. Yeah, I mean, this was the most even that it was, you could say. It's where it was, you know, there was no, you know, oh, well, if this happened, this would be different kind of thing. But, you know, kind of alluding to that and this brings us to my next point you know the the one the honestly the biggest thing that i noticed at the very end is that you know brooklyn could have beaten either of those teams if they were healthy and you know today they came out with the finals odds and you know they were number one and rightfully so i mean they they only beat themselves basically and kevin Durant's foot being too big like that's it like like when you really think about that like i mean th they are the next super team and they are the next dynasty that's going to win two, three championships at the very least. I, I think so. I don't see it. I'd say maybe probably at least one. I, I don't see two and three. I don't think there's enough left in their primes to uh to win two or three. I don't think it's a Warriors-esque team. I definitely think they're going to be making deep runs for the next few years, but I think two or three might, might be a stretch. I see definitely one, though, personally. And got to give a lot of credit to Wayne Diesel. He said, you know, the Bucks were going to win the whole thing. And I can't even lie. I, I was totally behind Phoenix the whole time. Most of the regular season, I was telling people, you know, buy into them, rally the Valley, blah, blah, blah. I just didn't, this isn't Milwaukee's best team that they've had in recent memory, but this was the most complete team. I guess you could say that they had, and you know, they really played together. And I really thought after or before game one, they had no chance because when I heard Mike Budenholzer in the locker room play, say, play stupid, I was like, what is this guy doing? And just the whole, I, on this program, no, on the exam podcast, I really said the Bucks should consider trading Giannis if they don't like win the Eastern Conference Finals. And then I asked Mark Medino, who works for USA Today, like, hey, how much of like a chance that is? And now, like, I'm drinking a Giannis as we speak, which I like Sprite tried to make, you know, the half lemonade, half Sprite, but it's way better when you just combine them like yourself. It's a great liquid. What do we That's think about his order? Whose order? Giannis. What do you order? Did I miss something? He got. 50. Not 49, uh, not 51. Oh, the 50 piece. Not, oh, yeah. yeah. Wasn't he at McDonald's, though? Did he, did he no, not he's at Chick -fil -A. No, it was Chick-fil-A. Okay, I heard Chick-fil-A sauce. That's where he said McNugget, and I was like. Yeah, but that's also the yeah. accent. We don't really know what he's saying. 
Yeah. At least he went he there and not anything. McDonald's. That's true. Because at that point, he's just asking to destroy his entire body. But this time next week, every single Milwaukee restaurant will have some kind of sign that says, like, yeah, we make the Giannis now. Mm. Oh, did you see the, the, the one restaurant that was giving away free shots for every single free throw that uh, Giannis made in, like, game seven? And then he shot 17 of 19 from the free throw line? They probably ran out. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Oh, no way they fell. Oh, darn, they fell. Oh, he made both of them. Darn. I mean, also, a lot of credit to the city of Milwaukee. When they had those barricades up, like, right after the game, I thought they were going to Conor McGregor, like, the whole downtown area. That was a wild oh, it was, scene. It was crazy. For two middle market teams, I both of those teams' fan bases were very invested. And it was good to see because those were just fans that have, haven't seen a, a team that far in years, I mean, neither one of those teams has been successful like that in God knows how long. So both of those fan bases were invested. It felt way more genuine than like when you get the Lakers, when when you get the Yankees in baseball, when you get, you know, the Patriots in football. It was two genuine fan bases that were like, we may never get this again. We need to enjoy it. And I think both teams did enjoy it. And I think it made the finals that much better because it just felt way more genuine than when you get those big market teams that can afford whoever they want you know, stepping into the ring like that. I think it was a great change of pace. Well, plus, it's just someone completely different in general. I mean, I would have been happy if either team won. I mean, certainly I had a preference oh, yeah. and it was the Phoenix Suns because I wanted Chris Paul to get a, get a ring. But, I mean, I'm not upset at all that Giannis won, even though, you know, that's a Eastern Conference rival for my favorite team. But, you know, I'm still happy for the guy at the end of the day. Oh, yeah, 100%. He deserved it. And, I mean, he's only 26. You know, everybody talks about how Mike won his first ring at 28 and LeBron won his first ring at 27. This guy's 26. I mean, how, how many rings do we think he wins? And you think just this one? You think he goes for what, like three, four? I think he can go back. Maybe two. Especially if they keep Holiday around, Middleton around for a long time. I'm going to say three, final prediction. When Giannis retires, he's going to retire with three. That's tough to gauge, I feel like. I don't know. I mean, there's there's a lot of factors because, I mean, he's not playing with the best supporting cast. I mean, we we've seen Middleton flop. We've seen Holiday flop. I mean, if that's if that's who he keeps, then I think it's a struggle. But you know, DiVincenzo could explode maybe, or maybe they could sign somebody different. Yeah, they definitely. But have to I I feel like there. I feel like if he's gonna get any more rings it's going to be with that in terms of the big three it'll be at least with one different player yeah i can i can see that i i feel like it has to be a player that plays similar to how middleton or holiday plays but with far more consistency because those two those two are probably the least two consistent players i've ever seen it's it's so, amazing yeah. that they thankfully they put it together when they needed to i mean there was times when drew holiday was shooting like one for 12 and they were still winning because middleton somehow had 50 points in like the first quarter Thankfully, both of them didn't flop at the same time, multiple times in the series. It could have been very different. And I think if that would have happened, Giannis would have been on his way out after seeing them combine for 20 points on, on five of 50 shooting in a finals game. So it's July 21st, 2021. Ethan Hartley, who wins the NBA finals next year and who do they beat? 
Would you like my biased or unbiased take? Doesn't matter. Uh, Philadelphia 76ers beat the Los Angeles Lakers. Okay, so what's actually going to happen? That's going to happen. Okay, Garrett. Um, I'm going to say... I'm going to say the Brooklyn Nets, they win, and I think they beat... I'm not going to say the Lakers. I, oh, please don't say the Lakers, tough. man. ESPN would just like... Uh, I, okay, uh, I'm going to say Nuggets. I'm going to say Nets over Nuggets. I say Jamal Murray coming back. I think Jokic has another big season. They they get all the way there just to get pummeled by the, the Nets. Yeah, I have the Knicks over the Jazz. The so, Garrett... I mean, that's fair. <laughs> I gotta stop saying so all the time. I keep saying that. This is the third different podcast I've recorded that I've said out loud. I gotta stop saying so. Anyways, Garrett, what do you want to talk about in the world of you know clean baseballs and mm. Rob Manfred? Uh, I want to. I don't know. See, we're, this baseball season has been excellent. I think we need to talk about Shohei Otani. I think that's going to be the first thing we talk about because when this season gets remembered 50 years from now, it's going to be because of him and because, you know, spider attack and whatnot, maybe. But I'm going to take the, the optimistic side and say it's because Shohei Otani is having the greatest season in the history of baseball right now. And they all laughed I, I think, when I said MVP and Cy Young. I mean, it's possible. I don't see Cy Young. I mean, he was great in his last start, so maybe. But, it would. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at this point with him. But, I mean – to lead the league in home runs, have that ERA almost below three. I mean, the dude in a 24-hour span participated in the home run derby, was the starting pitcher for the American League All-Star team, and hit leadoff. And, you know, if this was in a, you know, like I, I just imagine like Patrick Mahomes playing quarterback and middle linebacker, being the best quarterback in the league, being the best middle linebacker in the league at the same time, making the Pro Bowl as both. Like, that's what this is in baseball. That's that's the baseball equivalent of it. And I, I think mean, it needs way more credit. Khalil Mack made the all-pro team as an end and a linebacker, and I feel like that never I gets mean, talked about. That, that's that's about as close as you're going to get in any other sports because, I mean – But it's also, it's, you know, it's he's – it's still the same thing, you know? It's like if you win a gold glove at right field in first base, like – Yes, it, you know, it's it's impressive, but it's it's not like, you know, he's going to right guard half the time. And then, you know, when he's done with right guard, he goes to, to tack or uh, left end. But it's, yeah. it's incredible what he's doing. Yeah, I, I think, and I feel very strongly about this, that it is the doesn't, – it doesn't matter any other season. This is the greatest individual season by one player in the history of baseball and is making baseball popular him – Fernando Tatis, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., all the young superstar talent, Ronald Acuna before he got injured, Juan Soto, every, all these players are making baseball a huge sport again. And that's why the MLB All-Star Weekend got way more viewers than the NBA All-Star Weekend, way more viewers than the Pro Bowl. I think baseball is making a huge comeback because of because of their young talent, because the young talent is showing out. In the AL, it's Vladimir Guerrero and Shohei Otani for the MVP. And the NL, Fernando Tatis is battling Jesus in New York and Jacob deGrom for the NL MVP. I think it's great for baseball. I think it's exactly what they needed, and they got exactly what they needed. And I think baseball is only going to grow from here. I think they had the setup to do it, that's for sure. You've already went through all the players. But 
you know, it's it's still the guy up top doing all the the dumb shit left and right that you know kills the game. I mean, he finally eliminated uh, seven inning double headers and the extra the extra or the second base runner in extra innings. I mean, that's a start, but it's like he's kind of like living in his own world almost in terms of like what fans want and what he actually does like who 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 in this world actually asks for like seven inning double headers i mean nobody i don't like know what, what like what's the point i mean and like every get single people time, out of the stadium easier oh literally every single time we get on an mlb podcast steven or i it, it, we can't go half an hour without mentioning that this guy is the worst commissioner i've ever seen across any sport like can we get a universal DH? And he's like, no, but you can get like a runner on second and extra innings. Like, we don't want that. But he doesn't care. He doesn't listen. He doesn't care. And baseball is going young. All their star players are young. Can we get like a fresh face in to usher in this new era of baseball? And he's like, no. And the Astros aren't getting suspended. You're not getting universal DH. You get seven inning doubleheaders and you get runners on second. Yeah. And you, you fumble this ad- issue. Oh, with literally. The, the, foreign substance i mean i don't understand why you did in the beginning of the year you've known about it for a while i mean it's you know not hard to see the numbers of some almost all these pitchers you know just being more and more lethal by the week i mean and you do this mid-season and you know exactly start star player might have just might just be forced to get tommy john surgery because of it if if that can even be proven real i mean i i think there's some evidence to say so but i mean yeah still, I, I just think it's if, unfortunate if the mlb had an adam silver-esque um commissioner i think the game of baseball would grow to to like even above what the nba has grown into in this and i think it has that potential but it's up to the people up top and as long as rob manfred is in charge of baseball there's going to be a limit there's going to be a cap mm-hmm as to how great the game can become. And that's, and it's, it's so heartbreaking, but that's just the simple fact of the matter. That really just made about how much I hate Rob Manfred. Yeah. I mean, we made it about five minutes into the MLB section of the podcast without talking about him. I mean, that's gotta be like a new record. I'm pretty sure we can go back and look, but I'm pretty sure that's a new record. So good for us. Yeah. Trade deadline. A little more than a week away. Any who's going to be the biggest name moved? Bryant, I think. Well, there's going to be so. I think there's going to be a lot of name moves. I think there's going to be this is going to be a huge season, especially with the way COVID affected the markets and all the pending free agents on losing teams. I think there's going to be a huge trade deadline. I think I think Bryant's going to be one of the big names. I think he's going to the Mets. Probably that's my prediction. I want him in Philly because Boehm stinks. Yeah, I don't know what happened with Boehm. I was really, really high on Boehm coming into this year, and uh, he, he really let me down. because I, I wrote an article, and I think my prediction for Boehm was, like, rookie of the year, and he had, like, 20 home runs and 80 RBIs. And, I mean, that dude just apparently forgot how to play baseball. So, I think getting Chris Bryant into Philly would be a lot better. And then if Boehm finally wakes up, you move Bryant to the outfield because he has experience at the corner outfield spots. But, I mean, who knows? I think the biggest thing is going to be the bullpen arms at the, the deadline because there's so many great teams with no bullpen, uh, the Blue Jays being a, a huge one. 
I think you get Craig Kimbrell or uh, Richard Rod- Richard Rodriguez in uh, Pittsburgh into a Blue Jays uniform, and I think they immediately become, you know, way well, way bigger threat. I'd say World Series contender. Pe- some people might disagree, but I think they're only scratching the surface of what they're going to be. And I think getting a guy like Kimbrell in there for the the ninth inning, rather than having whoever's closing games for them right now or trying to. I think that makes them immediately a, a major contender. So I think bullpen arms are going to be the biggest part of this trade deadline. Yeah. And that's what it always is every year because there's always, you know, a handful of guys on crappy teams who get traded to wherever. But I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly so shocked and impressed on how wide open the NLE still is despite, you know, more than halfway through the year. I mean, the Phillies are somehow, I think, they're now two or three games behind. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, Atlanta's fallen off since yeah, Acuna's gotten down. hurt. Yeah, Nationals are just mediocre, and the Marlins are the Marlins. And you know the Mets are now hurt. Lindor's hurt. Degrom's hurt. I mean, you know, we're we're right there, and it's it's kind of crazy because we literally have no bullpen. I mean, we just got like a new closer basically, and he's he's the only solidified role we basically have. Yeah, I, and that division is so much fun because whenever they play each other, it makes for great baseball. And I think my long-term prediction is I think the Mets end up winning that division this year. And be, mainly because Acuna is down. I think in the long run and in a 162-game season, which we haven't seen since 2019, I think better teams will prevail. And I think that's going to lead the Mets to take it. But uh, I, I'm also extremely shocked at how wide open it is. I thought the Braves would run away with it. And I thought the Mets might snag a wild card. But Acuna's hurt. The Braves are not winning this division. The Nationals impressed me for a week when Schwarber hits 100 home runs over a three-game series or when Juan Soto apparently refines his power stroke after the home run derby. But, you know, in the long run, of course, they're just going to disappoint. Um, so I, I think for the, the Phillies definitely have a chance, but I, I think it's the Mets personally. And, you know, Marlins, they're just – they beat the Cubs in the playoffs once and they're good. They'll, they're going to go to sleep for like 10 more years and win a playoff series. So yeah. first off, Mets been hurt. This isn't like a new thing. So. Not Degrom and Lindor. Not Degrom, yeah, Degrom. Yeah, but the story. entire they had sixteen people on the injured list at one point this season. The were whole team I, were either of those names Degrom or Lindor? Degrom was part DeGrom of the sixteen miss. people. Degrom did miss I think all the time. I do remember that. I think that's going to make them big time buyers, though. I, in the long run, I think that's going to help because they're kind of shaken up again at the, the deadline and they I think they're going to make a big decision to go after some big names because of it because they can't keep all their talent on the field and they need to you got a wide open division you got exactly what you wanted in New York you got a new owner who says he's going to buy in a wide open division if they don't buy at the deadline they've just completely fumbled an opportunity and then somehow the Phillies are going to end up freaking winning the NL East with Jose Alvarado and God knows who else in the back of the bullpen Hey, hey, don't do not disrespect Ranger Suarez. <laughs> Ranger Suarez for Cy Young. Is that is that is that the motto right now? I mean, as long as the NL East open, we might as well start a train going. Hey, if he's the closer next year, you can throw him out there to get 45 saves. Hey man. Uh, I mean, I'm not opposed to it, especially if you know we see JD Davis and Dom Smith in the middle of that Mets lineup because they didn't buy at the deadline. You know, we'll see though. We'll see. This is the best bench ever assembled, though. There is no greater second rotation in any professional sport 
on this earth than, you know, the bench, what do they call him? King of the, Gary Cohen like just said it too. I think it's like the bench, I don't know, but it's the best bench ever. Villar, Pilar, uh, oh. Jose Peraza, Tomas Nito. I mean, I like Pilar. I mean, actually, that brings up a funny point about Pilar. I think it just shows how strong baseball players are. While we're on the topic of Pilar, how do you not not how how can you disrespect Kevin Pilar? The dude took a ninety-six mile an hour fastball straight to his nose and was up in like five seconds. Someone timed it with when LeBron got hit in the face. (laughs) Yeah, dude. LeBron was on the floor longer than Pilar was. It's and that's ridiculous. I, that's I sorry. Yeah, baseball Pilar. players and hockey players, you, you just don't mess with them. You just don't mess with them. a basketball player. Might be like seven feet tall, and you might get a guy like Jose Altuve, who's like three foot seven. I mean, my money's on the baseball player because that dude's gonna take a punch right to the face and get right up. All you gotta do is poke LeBron in the eye, and he's down for the count. So, don't bet against the little guys. Don't bet against the baseball players. They're a different breed. Kevin Pilar is a prime example. Yeah, then, you know, next time he came back, used the same bat, went yard. Exactly, yeah, exactly. But as long as Edwin Diaz is in the ninth inning, I mean, you got to at least give one game to the other team in a seven-game series. He's going to point to the sky on a home run at least once, and, you know, that'll be the end of that. It's something about the Mets bullpen. There's always a pitcher on the team that does that. Like when Hansel Robles used to do that, would make me nuts. You could clearly tell just the way it sounded. It was a home run, and he was just, you know. Now he's on the Twins. Twins are a train wreck, and now Nelson Cruz is going to play for his 30th MLB team at the deadline, and Jose Barrios needs a new home. That'd be a nice place to go in New York, especially if New York's rotation is going to keep getting hurt. Josh Donaldson needs somewhere to go. A lot of money, though. Bucks that we get traded. But, oh, they need – I think they might trade Buxton, and I think they need to hold on to him. I think he's still young. And, uh, I mean, I guess this would be the most value you might ever end up getting for him because he's having such a great season when he's on the field this year. But I think if you give on, give up on, like, Buxton and you completely tear this thing down, like, you're going to be, like, Diamondbacks level bad. That's pretty bad. He turned down, like, what? $70 million, I think. So, I mean, it could be a possibility if they don't feel like giving him more money. Yeah. And I'm actually writing an article about that right now. Buxton turning down 70 million seems like a lot, but in baseball money, that's not that much because yeah, that's why I think the Braves are poised for success. Probably like set like probably like five or seven, knowing how baseball contracts work. Don't the Braves have like Ozzy Albies on like a nine-year, forty million dollar deal? Yeah, yeah, he's like, he, like forty-nine million. Yeah, yeah. I, and Acuna. Acuna's on like isn't Acuna on like an eight-year, like ninety million dollar deal? Well, Tatis makes half a billion dollars. Like, this is why the Braves, like, they sign their talent when nobody knows about it yet. I mean, aside from, I, I think Freddie Freeman's on a big contract. I can't think of anybody else in that team that's on a big contract. So I mean, that makes the Braves scary when their whole team gets healthy and they can actually buy people to keep around it. You have a billion dollars. If you're the Padres, you have a billion dollars put aside into, like, Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis only. Don't forget, and you're Hosmer. gonna have to pay more people. And, oh my God, Will Myers isn't he paid a lot too? Or is probably? Uh, I think he makes. Clevenger, Snell, Darvish. I mean, all all of them make a lot of money. Oh yeah, and then you get you get to the Braves, and they're like, 
given Ozzy Albee's minimum wage at 300 with 30 home runs a year at second base. And I, now they, they know how it's done. So in the long run, I think they're going to be better off. The, the Padres better take advantage of their window or they're going to get some, some Red Sox slash Dodgers-esque pain in the near future because of all the money they got tied up. We were just talking about that in chat the other day um, about the Dodgers, you know, on the verge of possibly flaming out. They're they're in such a weird spot because Co- Cody Bellinger is nowhere to be seen. I mean, Mookie Betts is having a down year. You got this Bauer situation, but like you still look at all the talent, and it's like they can do it. And it's 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 really hard to get the full understanding of it because you know it goes both ways. Absolutely, and they need a they need a chain bloom in their in their front office like the Red Sox got because the Red Sox turnaround has been one of the most unexpected things in baseball this year. I thought the Red Sox were going to be like Orioles level bad in that AL East. And they're winning the division by what a game over the Rays right now. I think going into the day, that's what they were at. And they've restocked their um, farm system fairly quickly. They got Jeter Downs still down there and they just called up um, like Jaron Duran and he had a home run in his, in his uh, debut. So I mean, there's still talent there. Yeah. And Chris Sale's coming back. (laughs) And he just twirled like four innings of no-hit baseball at AAA in his rehab start. And that's in one year. Like the, the, the amount of they've that front office has done in one year is like the amount we're used to seeing like the Mets do in like three decades, which is why, you know. And Bobby Vanilla Day just happened too. So I'm sure that was a great day for Steven. <laughs> of, uh, it's an underrated day of remembrance. Day. I never yeah, understood yeah. why I got hated on. So going from the boys of summer to the ice. The Seattle Kraken have their expansion draft tonight. And I'm not going into great detail about this, but a lot of hockey people are complaining. All of the picks have been leaked before the draft. Yeah. <laughs> so first, that's what happens when you get ESPN taking over your stuff. Secondly, it's not even that. It's like a whole local. And they, yeah, just give like, it, they just give it to bigger people. Like – don't get mad at you know the instagram page with 300 followers telling you who's gonna go where get mad at like the people telling whoever you know the seattle's gonna take mark giordano from calgary or or you know make it like a real draft you can't say until you know now eight o'clock. yeah that's that's how i thought it always should have been done should never been like given beforehand just do it like you know how they do an actual draft like so, like, when they do that expansion draft, does, like, each team get to, like, protect, like, eight players? And yeah, then from uh, the, anybody a, unprotected, you can take whoever you want? It's yeah. a com- – okay, so the rules are it's a combination of – I only know what the Flyers did. So, they protected five forwards, three defenders, and a goaltender. You can kind of copy that same format. I know it has to be only one goaltender. You can't protect two, I think. Uh, that might not be true. No, because that's why Carey Price waived his no uh, acquisition thing so they could keep Jake Allen because you only can keep one goalie. Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, you know, Vegas has two really good goaltenders. Like, Vegas isn't eligible because they're a recent expansion uh, team. That's true. That's true. And then you also can't take any players still on a rookie deal. Yeah, the uh, first one to two years in the league, can't touch those players. And it's only one player per team. Regardless, so but I, I mean, imagine I, that in like a different sport, 
because we never really see anything like that in recent memory. It, it's coming sooner than later to the NBA. Yeah, I agree. I think the NBA is going to expand to 32. I think they need a team back in Seattle. I think they could use a team and like uh, – What's tough about that, though, is that it's going to be like two West Coast teams, I feel like. I don't see anywhere on the East Coast that doesn't have a team or we yeah. need a second well, team. Yeah, of course they're going to copy hockey. I mean – Yeah, and New Orleans being in the Western Conference is stupid enough. So like, put them back in the East and get some more teams on the actual West Coast. Isn't Memphis in the Western Conference too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so there you go. Yeah, but they're out west. They're they're like in that weird spot though, because they don't have like a a south, like they do for football. So they kind of got to go somewhere. Well, if I if I think that they expand to thirty two, they I think they should do how the NFL does with like eight divisions of four teams and like sixteen each side, and I you know or something like that, like northeast, northwest, southeast, southwest in the Eastern Conference type thing. But there's no – and no world should Memphis and New Orleans be in the Western Conference. I think you, you you need to expand into Seattle and you need to get – Vegas doesn't have a team. So, Seattle and Vegas – Vegas will probably absorb a team. Yeah. Well, they, I see Oakland talking about moving to Vegas too. And we saw the, the Golden Knights go to Vegas. We saw the Raiders go into Vegas. So, I mean, I think we're due for – like multiple big changes because we've been at we're in like a dormant state where nobody's really moved made big moves aside from you know the Raiders and uh what's their name I guess the Thunder is the most recent example in the NBA well the the Rams the Chargers yeah the well yeah they moved to uh to LA which makes sense the Chargers still don't have fans somehow they're like the angels of the the NFL you moved to LA and still don't have any fans because yeah. Any I last think they need Harley? to expand to 32. What's that? Any last words? Uh, listen to Don Don Friday. It's going to be an incredible album. Garrett, anything else? Um, Alvin Kamara needs to be a top four pick in your fantasy league, regardless of PPR or non-PPR format. Spotify, Apple, YouTube. We're out.